We're going to be looking at two chapters uh, together. There's a lot of material here, and uh, yet we're praying the Holy Spirit would speak to us uh, today as we look at his word. So much can happen in a very short time. It takes only a short time for everything to change, for our worlds to be turned completely upside down. In Mark chapter 14 and 15, we have what is called the passion narrative of Jesus Christ. It records the events that took place the day before and the day of Jesus' death. This is the climax of Mark's gospel. Uh, If you know the gospel of Mark, you understand that Mark moves at breakneck pace. His whole gospel is just one action-packed scene after another. But it's almost as if when you get to Mark chapter 14 and 15, Mark begins to slow down. I don't know if you've had this experience where Time speeds up and time slows down at the same time. It sounds like it's a contradiction, but I've lived through this many times. In Mark chapter 14 and 15, it's like Mark packs in so many details, so many events that take place. Uh, The action begins to speed up, and yet at the same time, it's as if things really begin to slow down as Jesus moves to the cross. We're not going to have time to look at the entire uh, events. I calculated this week that I could probably do about nine sermons easily on the events of Mark chapter 14 and 15. This is RJ's revenge to me because the other week I had him preach through the whole book of Judges and Ruth on one Sunday. So this is nothing, two chapters is nothing compared to this. But in Mark chapter 14, here's some of what you have as you read this passage, you have the plot to kill him. You have Jesus' last anointing. You have a woman who uh, pours out perfume on him and anoints him. You have his last supper with the disciples. You have his arrest. You have his arraignment and more. In Mark chapter 15, you have his appearance before Pilate. You have his conviction. You have his being mocked. And then, most importantly, you have this crucifixion, death, and burial. Friends, so much happens in these two chapters, Mark chapter 14 and 15. In a brief period, just a very short period, everything changes. How do we make sense of everything that happens in these two chapters? I want to suggest to you two themes that stand out in these two chapters. And these are two themes that I think are going to be as relevant to us today as anybody in history. The first theme is this. Mark chapter 14 and 15 point us to this. Jesus went purposely to the cross. Jesus went purposely to the cross. As I was meditating on these two chapters, I was thinking, how in the world am I going to do justice to all the events that took place? I mean, uh, chapter 14, it begins in Jesus is... Uh, still free. Jesus is still free. The wheels are only beginning to turn. And you get to the end of chapter 15, so much has happened, so many stories, and so many events by the end of chapter 15. I was meditating on uh, some of the threads that tied these chapters together. And here's really what I saw in the events of 
these two days. Jesus is not a victim of circumstances. It would be easy to assume that, uh, as we see the news, uh, the uh, events on TV, we see things spiraling out of control and different people being caught up in events that are really beyond them. It would be easy to assume that Jesus had been caught up in events that were far beyond his control, that the plans of the religious leaders, the uh, passion of the crowds, led him to his death. But as you look carefully at the events in these two chapters, nothing is farther from the truth. In these two chapters, Jesus remains firmly in control. He went to the cross purposefully for you and for me. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, I wish I had the time to read all of this for you, but in chapter 14, Jesus is anointed by a woman in the first part of the chapter. And Jesus turns to his followers and he says, listen, this is her anointing me for my death. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He knows exactly what's going on. You get the sense in this event that nobody understands what's going on except for Jesus. But Jesus says, I know. And this is very appropriate considering what's coming. And then Jesus celebrates the last meal, his last supper with the disciples. This was the Passover meal. Uh, this would have been done. Everyone would have expected that this would happen. But this time, you know, as they're marking the deliverance from Egypt, how uh, the, the Passover lamb was sacrificed to save the people, Jesus turns to his followers and said, this is my body. This is my blood. I am the Passover lamb. I am giving my life for you. In verse 27 of chapter 14, he turns to his followers and tells them that all of them are going to fall away. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. And he especially knows what's going to happen to Peter and Judas. He turns to Peter, and Peter is full of bravado. Lord, I will never desert you. But Peter turns, uh, Jesus turns to Peter and says, he tells him exactly what's going to take place. He is firmly in control. And in the garden, as he prays, he's overwhelmed by what's going to happen. And yet in verse 36, he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. He turns to his father and says, I am coming to do my will. In verse 42, his betrayer is coming before anyone knows. I think probably before there's any evidence, but Jesus knowing all things, says to his disciples that his betrayer is coming. And all through these two chapters, over and over again, the Mark says that he was fulfilling exactly what Scripture fulfilled. In 1449, in 1534, in uh, verse 36 of chapter 15, over and over again, you get the idea that Jesus, even in his death, is fulfilling to the letter all that Scripture fulfilled. So you get to chapter 15, verse 36, you get to the Jesus on the cross, you get to somebody filling a sponge with sour wine, you see the, the crowds taunting him in verse 37, you see Jesus uttering a loud cry and breathing his last. Friends, if you read this and think that Jesus is a victim of circumstances, if you read this and think that Jesus is being led unwillingly to his death, We've misread that passage. What Mark chapter 14 and 15 are showing us is not that Jesus is being led to his death, 
but that Jesus is purposely and voluntarily and sovereignly going to his death to offer his life for you and for me. The religious leaders are not in charge. The Sanhedrin are not in charge. Pilate is not in charge. As we read this morning, Pilate actually was trying to reverse the course of what was going to happen. He's not in charge. The crowds are not in charge. The soldiers are not in charge. Jesus is in charge. As Jesus said himself in the Gospel of John 10, verse 17 and 18, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. As Kent Hughes says, far from being crushed in the gears of history, Jesus was turning the wheels of history just as he wished. His death was no accident. In fact, his words uh, at the Last Supper indicate that this was part of his plan. Jesus is the master of his own death. He maintains sovereign, premeditated, and detailed mastery of all the events that took place here. Friends, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus was in charge? Well, what it means is, first, his death for us was no accident. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This was part of God's eternal plan that God the Son, Jesus Christ, would come to earth in human. He was the God-man, 100% God, 100% human. And he came with the express intent of going to the cross. He went there knowingly from day one, knowing that his very purpose was to offer his life for us. In fact, he, he came knowing, uh, even as he uh, said to his disciples at the Last Supper, this blood is a new covenant which is poured out for many. He knew that he was quoting the plan that Isaiah had talked about centuries before. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it for you and for me. Jesus went to the cross to offer his life for us. It was his privilege to do so. Jesus was not making a split-second decision. Jesus was carrying out his plan from eternity to die for you and for me. The amazing news is that Jesus came with the determination to offer his life for our sins. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. The remarkable thing is, at any point, Jesus could have, because he was in charge, Jesus could have at any point sovereignly changed the course of events. At any point, Jesus could have completely overwhelmed the soldiers. He could have overwhelmed Pilate. He could have set himself free. But Jesus went willingly to the cross for you and for me. What love. What determination. What purpose. He decided by his own authority when he would submit himself to the jaws of sin and death and judgment. As someone put it, death could not come to Christ. Instead, Christ came to death. He walked into our execution room. Friends, we should have died. Our sins deserved God's wrath and punishment. We deserve the death that Jesus Christ died. And yet Jesus Christ went willingly for you and for me. A few years ago, Mel Gibson released a movie called The Passion of the Christ. And it portrayed in gruesome detail the physical suffering of Jesus when he went to the cross. And as we heard this morning, the scripture reading, it's hard not to be moved by what Jesus endured as he went to the cross. The physical suffering, the flogging, the mocking, the killing. But friends, nothing 
that he endured physically compares to the spiritual anguish that he went through that day as he went to the cross. As Tim Keller writes, no pain, no greater pain has ever been experienced on any level than the hell of Christ's suffering that he endured in that moment. As he went to the cross, he carried all the pain, all the sin, all the guilt, our guilt in that moment. At a far deeper level, he was forsaken and punished so that we could be reconciled to God. On the cross, Jesus knew the anguish that he would suffer. The physical suffering was only the beginning. He knew in that moment that he would be bearing bearing the sins of the world. He would be bearing the wrath of God. On the cross, all of our sins, he who was sinless, all our sins were placed on him in the moment, that moment. All the wrong, if you know what it's like to bear your own sins, uh, I I certainly do. Uh, In my waking moments, I know what that's like, but I remember waking up one time with the sense of uh, a dream that I'd done something wrong, and I woke up with just the weight of that, and then I was instantly relieved that, that it was only a dream. I hadn't committed that awful sin, but I felt the weight of that. Friends, if you, do you know what that's like? I know what that's like in my waking moments to realize the weight of sin, all that I've committed on the cross, Jesus bore all of that for all of those who've trusted him. But he did it willingly for you and me. Jesus was no victim. Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for you and for me. How amazing is it that Jesus did this for us? How amazing that Jesus purposed to offer his life for you and for me. You know, there's another implication to uh, Jesus purposing going to the cross. And it's this. Does your life ever feel out of control? Do you ever feel like circumstances are uh, beyond your control? Well, I will tell you this. A savior who's in control, even when his own life is ending, is a savior who can be trusted to sustain us in our darkest moments. Friend, if Jesus' Jesus' love extended to uh, that even in his worst moments, even as the weight of the sins of the world were being placed on him, even as he was being crushed for our sake, if Jesus was sovereign and could be trusted in his darkest moments, how much more can Jesus be trusted when we go through our darkest moments? If Jesus' mastery of the events of these two chapters show us anything, it's his sovereignty and his love. We can have complete confidence in him because he's sovereign. He is always in control. And we can have complete confidence in his love because he went to the cross resolutely for you and for me. Friends of Mark 14 and 15 point us to the purposeful, resolute determination of Jesus to go to the cross to save you and me. As I studied this passage, I, I derived incredible comfort from that one theme that runs through these two chapters. But I also noticed there's another theme that runs through these two chapters. On one hand, you have Jesus' resolute love for you and for me. But the other thing I notice in these two chapters is this. We must decide what we will do with Jesus. Jesus went to the cross with resolute love and determination to save us. But the other theme in these two chapters is we must decide what we will do with Jesus. If you read these two chapters, you really notice how Jesus is in charge. But you also notice something else. Everyone faces a verdict. What will they do with Jesus? 
The stories in these two chapters are quite incredible. The start of chapter 14, the religious leaders plot against Jesus. They're there saying, we need to get rid of Jesus. Mark has this uh, way of sandwiching events. Uh, he sandwiches the events of uh, the plot uh, with uh, Judas uh, determining to uh, betray Jesus. Mark chapter 14, you begin with uh, the Passover. And then in verse 10, uh, the plot to kill Jesus at the Passover, the chief priests. In verse 10, you've got uh, Judas who determines to obey him. And in the middle, you have Jesus anointed in Bethany. And so you have this sandwich of people plotting against Jesus. In the middle, you have these people saying, what are you going to do with Jesus? One woman responds in love and adoration and anoints Jesus, while the disciples stand around and grumble at the expense. It's almost like Mark is shaking us, picking us up and saying, where do you stand? Are you on the side of the plotters? Are you on the side of those who are grumbling at worshiping Jesus? Or are you standing with a woman who's offering extravagant love to an extravagant Savior? Then Mark moves on. Jesus, uh, after the Lord's Supper, uh, predicts Peter's betrayal. And later on in chapter 14, actually Jesus says, all of you are going to betray me. Uh, Jesus says all of that, and sure enough, later in the chapter, all of them do betray Jesus. All of them fall away. In the moment of Jesus' greatest need, Peter, James, and John all fall asleep. And later, Peter denies Jesus three times. And again, it's almost like Mark is saying to us, where do you stand with Jesus? I think Mark is actually going a little bit farther there. As I read this week, uh, somebody on Facebook yesterday said, I'm pretty sure that if I were in Jerusalem, I would have been the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And what Mark is doing in this chapter is saying, look, even the best of Jesus' disciples fell away. Do you realize how faithless we are? Do you realize, friends, that our only hope is Jesus, who remained faithful even when we abandoned him? Do you think of yourself too highly? Do you think that you would be more loyal than these men who'd spent all these years with Jesus? In chapter 15, Pilate asked the crowd, what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And it's almost like Mark is asking us that question. What will you do? with the man who's called the king of the Jews? The answer that the crowd gives is crucify him. And Mark is posing the question to us, how will you answer? What will you do with this man, the king of the Jews? As Jesus is crucified, we see people taunt him. But in Mark 15, 39, we also see a centurion who says, truly this was the son of God. And then we see in the end of chapter 15, we see women watching from a distance. Women, by the way, uh, all the men in Jesus' life failed him, but you have these women who stuck with Jesus to the end. And then you see Joseph of Arimathea wrapping his body and burying him in a tomb. The question is posed to us, will you join the crowd of mockers? As Jesus is crucified, will you mock him? Or will you recognize him for who he is? Mark chapter 14 and 15 is really the story of Jesus' resolute journey to the cross. And as he moves to the cross with purpose, he cuts through people 
And people either end on one side or the other. Who is Jesus to you? You either mock him, reject him, or you bow down and worship him for who he is. And the question comes to us this morning, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? I want to pause here and just dwell for a minute on Peter. I'm so grateful that Peter's story is in here. Because I don't know about you, but I realize how quick I am to abandon my Savior. Even though I am up here preaching about the majesty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, even right now as I see the beauty of Jesus and what he died on what he did on the cross for us. I know how quick I am to fail him. And I'm so grateful that in this passage we have the account of Peter. Because I think on one hand it could be, as Mark cuts through these people and you see different responses, I think a lot of us could feel condemned of like, of course I'm going to blow it. Of course I'm not going to be faithful to Jesus. Well, we have the story of Peter who not only fell asleep on Jesus, but betrayed him three times. What a bitter blow for Peter who was so confident that he couldn't be counter on, counted on, uh, he, that he could be counted on. Peter had to realize that he didn't have what it took. Peter had to re- come to the end of his own righteousness. Peter had to realize that he needed a savior, that he couldn't count on his own goodness. His only hope is Jesus. And as if Mark is saying to us, do you, have you come to the point where you realize that your goodness won't save you? Have you come to the point to realize that it's for people like Peter that Jesus died? Jesus died for the struggling. Jesus died for the fickle. Jesus died for the faithless, those who've let him down. Jesus died for people like you and me. Michael is a pastor. He was a pastor. He's actually in his last days now. He just entered palliative care. Years ago, I, I, when I sensed desire to become a pastor, this would have been many years ago, I wrote him a letter, and uh, he was pastoring in California at the time. I said, well, how would you, uh, what would you say to a young guy like me who wants to be a pastor? And he wrote me this letter. I've still got it. And here's what he said. Uh, beautiful letter, only one page. He said this, Daryl, if there's one thing I could tell you uh, as you co- contemplate entering the ministry, it's this. Preach and teach for a verdict. Let me quote him directly. He said, if there's one appeal I would make to you, if you wish to be a preacher of the gospel, it's this. Preach and teach for a verdict. Call people to action in obedience to God's word. Don't aim to merely inform. Make the human will your target and the power of the Holy Spirit. He told me, if you're going to preach the gospel, call people to a verdict. Well, that's good advice because I think that's what Mark is doing for us in this passage. Mark is not just giving us information about what Jesus did for us, but he's actually asking us to come to a verdict. What will you do with Jesus? Mark has showed us in this passage all that Jesus has done for us. And then he shows us all the different ways that people responded to Jesus. And it's almost as if he's looking at us and saying, now what will you do? Will you trust him? Will he be your life? Will the cross be your only confidence? Or will you reject him? There's no neutrality. What will you do with Jesus? Jesus purposely went to the cross and we must respond. Jesus, fully in charge of everything that was taking place, went to the cross to offer his life for ours 
to die in our place so that we could be made right with God. And he did so willingly. He did so with great love and purpose so that we could enjoy eternal life with God. We could enjoy all the blessings of reconciliation with God, undoing the curse, having all the blessings of what it means to be his children. But as he did so, you have all kinds of reactions of people. Some plotted against him. One chose to betray him. Some grumbled. His most committed followers fell away. The crowds yelled out, crucified him. Soldiers and thieves taunted him. But some worshipped him. A woman anointed him. A centurion acknowledged him to be the son of God. Women stayed faithful and looked on from a distance, and Joseph buried him. And Mark is saying to us, what will you do? How will you respond to the one who went purposely to the cross to die for sinful men and women like us? And so much can happen in a short time. In the space of just a couple of days, all of this took place so that Jesus could die for us. A lot can happen right now as well. As we come with empty hands and respond in repentance and faith to the one who gave his life for us. As a verdict is rendered in our lives as we say, what else would we do but follow such a great Savior? Father, thank you for Jesus. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Lord, as we behold the cross, as we see his resolute determination to die for us, we say, what a Savior. How could we ever begin to comprehend the amount of love that would take our Savior from the heights of heaven, not only to come down to earth, but to offer his life for us? Lord, how could we ever begin to comprehend the love of such a a Savior who would take our sins, our guilt, our shame on himself? That he would allow himself, that he would go purposely to the cross and offer his life for us. How could we begin to comprehend such a love? Thank you that Jesus was not the victim of circumstances. Thank you that Jesus went with determination to offer his life for us. Pray that this would give us comfort, Lord, the extent of his love. But Lord, I pray as we consider Mark's question, what will we do? My prayer is that we would trust him. Lord, my prayer is that we would worship him. My prayer is that we would bow down before such a great savior and say praise and glory and honor and worship belong to him. So Lord, would we bow before him? Would he get all the glory in this church and in our lives today, we pray in our great Savior's name. Amen.